this morning, as we've been telling you for weeks, uh, Chad and I, our wives, we're, we're especially excited this morning because we have just some very special people in our lives. If you've been around and, and you've heard a little bit of our stories at church, we say often we were sent here. And then we talk about a church in Atlanta, Georgia that I was on staff with for almost nine years. But our stories go way back before that. Um, when I was in seventh grade, they rolled this guy in on an overhead cart with a sheet over top of him. And they presented him as our youth pastor. And so we didn't know what to think about that in the moment. I was in seventh grade. I was in sixth grade. Um, but he became our youth pastor. He became our mentor. He became a spiritual guide in our life. And for uh, the next years in middle school and high school, he would begin to instill in us what it meant to be living proof, what it meant to be kingdom-minded, these things as a student that I would go, I don't even know if I understand all of that. And he wouldn't just talk about it. He'd say, come with me. Let's go do this. And so I went to college, and when I was about to graduate, he called my wife and I, and he said, we're looking to hire some new student pastors. We'd love you to come join our team. And so we left everything that we knew in Virginia. We moved down to join them in Atlanta, Georgia, and we were there, and then they sent us here 10 years ago. And so I want you guys to give a warm welcome to my pastor, my mentor, our friend, Brian Bloy. Oh, it's so good to be here today. Um, the music, you guys, I don't know if you know this, but you're extremely blessed. Um, I have been in many, many, many churches that the music is really, really bad. It is, you guys are exceptionally good, and you probably think about it, you need to put out like some music. You need to do like a record, like a, an album or whatever. Like you need to, you need to have a, like a, a, a CD or a cassette tape or whatever, eight track. I don't know what no, you, seriously, that was phenomenal, and I'm just so proud of, of Tim and Tandy. Um, I, I've known them, for obviously, for many, many years when Tim was in seventh grade. Tandy was in our youth group, and she was in 12th grade. Chad, so proud of this, this guy here, and to have them together is like the dynamic duo. It's just unbelievable, and um, Chad and Michelle, and of course, I met Chad when, when Chad was, you were in elementary school. I worked for his grandparents, and I tell people in Georgia that I used to sell Harleys, and they're like, no, you, you don't look that cool to sell Harleys. And I'm like, no, I really did. I, I sold Harleys. And then so they, they can, they're here to prove that. Um, but they, these guys have done such a phenomenal job. To, it's just great to see them together. My wife was Chad's seventh grade teacher. And she's sitting next to Kathleen. She was Kathleen's third grade teacher. So I don't know what that says about the two of us. But we feel really old here today, but so stinking proud we have planted a lot of churches over the many years uh, that we've been in church planting. And, uh, you know, it's crazy. You, it's like raising kids. You send some of them out, and they really, it's like, how many of you have older adults or in your home or like that? You know, you send them out to college, and some of them embarrass you. And then some of them, just like, really, really make you proud. These guys have made us extremely proud. And to God be the glory, because, I mean, all the, the credit and the glory goes to him. But um, Tim, Tim knows the story, and uh, it really, this story shaped my life. It shaped, I think, what was the beginning in his heart years ago of Genesis Church. And, um, but my wife and I moved, as Tim mentioned, to, to out of, uh, we were in Lynchburg, Virginia and, uh, for six years, and then we moved to uh, the northwest side of Atlanta. And we started this church in, in September of 1997 called Westridge. And um, about six years into the church, we were just running and gunning, and in 2003, our elders, the elders of our church, gave me my very first sabbatical. The church wasn't quite six years old, 
and we had grown significantly. I was exhausted. I was burned out, and I just I needed a month to rest. And during this break, I was just praying for several things. I, I, I was asking God to give us um, some clarity concerning the future of our church. We had some really, really big decisions in front of us, and, and we started um, Westridge. As I said, in 1997, we started with this goal of just, we wanted to reach as many people as we could possibly reach in Northwest Atlanta with the gospel. And I had this dream of having this huge church with this huge campus, reaching thousands of people, offering tons of programs for every ages, you know, age group, because that's what I knew to do. That was how I grew in ministry. That's the churches that I worked for. And, um, and so that's what we went to Atlanta to do, and, and, and that was the path we were moving down. When 2003 um, was the first year of our church that we actually averaged over 2,000 people. And if you know anything about the church world, especially the Baptist church world, um, if you cross over 2,000, they call you a mega church. And so in my mind, I'm like, we got to get to this 2,000. And I remember when that happened. I took our staff to Longhorns. Tim was part of that, that lunch meeting. And we sat down to celebrate the fact that we had crossed over the 2,000 mark of, of in, in our attendance. And listen, while I was incredibly thankful for all that God w- had done, I remember sitting in that Longhorns feeling something wasn't quite right. It was like, I, I, we worked so hard to get to this point, and I'm like, this doesn't feel how I thought it was going to feel. There was just this emptiness inside of me. And the thought went through my mind while I was sitting there, you know what, I, the last thing Atlanta needs is another big box church. We're just, Atlanta's full of them. And at that moment, I began to feel like God was calling me to something different. And honestly, I had no idea what that was going to mean at the time. And so 2003, back to that third week of my sabbatical, I, I, I went by myself to a conference in Southern California. And, and back in that time, there were not conferences going on all over the place every weekend, you know, for church leaders and this and that. There was just one here and there. The only conference that was going on in July of 2003 that I could actually go to was a conference at Saddleback Church in Southern California for worship pastors. I had never been a worship pastor before. And so it was just me and 3,000 worship pastors. It looked like a concert breaking out everywhere. It's like you look, oh, there's a concert breaking out, you know. And so all these guys everywhere wearing skinny jeans and funky boots and hipster glasses and paisley shirts back then, you know, like, like big angel's wings on them. And then there was me, all right? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. But, but so, you know, I'm just walking around in shorts and, and T-shirts and flip-flops because that's kind of how I roll. But, but, but it was the only conference that was going on. So the last day of the conference, I'll never forget this. I woke up in my hotel room and I was wrestling with the thought, should I go to the conference or should I go to the beach? Because I had flown over the Pacific Ocean, but I had never actually been on the beach in the Pacific you know, Ocean. And so I just wrestled, wrestled, wrestled. But I knew that Rick Warren was rolling out this new book called The Purpose Driven Life. You may have heard about it. It's real big. Um, and he was going to talk about it, and then Max Lucado was speaking. And I love, I love Max Lucado's books, and I've heard him many, speak many times at Promise Keepers. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe it'd be great to go hear him speak. But I was wrestling because I got, I got the beach, or I got Max. The beach, Max. So I went to the conference. And Rick Warren did a great job of talking about his, you know, his, the purpose-driven life. And then Max Lucado got up to speak, and I'll never forget the story he told and what he said afterwards. He talked about going to visit a mentor, a spiritual father of his who was in his 80s and, and, and was, was in his last days of his life. And he sat next to his hospital bed and he just looked at this man and he said, listen, he said, you're the godliest man I've ever met in my life. You have walked with Jesus for so many years. You've been so faithful in ministry for so many years. What is the one thing that you would tell me? If you had to tell me anything, any piece of advice, what's the one thing that you've learned about 
ministry and life and walking with the Lord. And here's what he said to him. He said, Max, here's what what I want to tell you. It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's all about God's glory. And then Max Lucado said this, God does not exist to make much of us. We exist to make much of him. Now, I got to tell you, after his talk was over, I just sat in the chair in this worship auditorium, Saddleback Church in Southern California, and I just felt like God had shot an arrow through my chest. And I remember thinking, Lord, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's about me. I've never wanted to make it about me. I've never wanted to put the spotlight on me. I want it to be all about Jesus. But, but, but Lord, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. But, but that just, just literally slayed me. And so I drove in my rental car to Laguna Beach, and I sat there on a park bench. And first I had to get a Starbucks because you've you got to have a little caffeine if you're going to really, really meet with Jesus, right? You know. So I had a vanilla latte in my hand, and I, I'm sitting on this park bench overlooking Laguna, the, the Pacific Ocean on Laguna Beach, and I just begin to write, and I ask God a question, what's the most important thing to you? And I just felt God stirring in my heart and saying to me, listen, Brian, this is about my glory. That's all this is about. It's about my glory. It's about my kingdom. And so I just want you, as you move forward, I want you to stay humble. I want you to stay humble. This is not about expanding your kingdom. This is about my kingdom. Don't worry about your kingdom. I'll take care as long as you focus on mine. This will always be about people, so stay outward focused and stay together. This will, you must stay, keep your staff, keep the church unified. They must be of one purpose, one spirit and mind. And so I begin, just God began to write the story that, 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 that literally changed the trajectory of our church. And I remember walking home, and we literally, we walked into some uncharted, choppy waters. Listen, when you start moving in that direction, you're going to see some things that happen that you would be absolutely foolish if you would ever begin to, even for a moment, take credit for one of those things. And the story was unwritten. And honestly, I I didn't know exactly where God was going to take us as a church, but I knew it was going to be exciting, and I knew it was going to be different. Listen, Genesis Church, what God has already done here over the last 10 years is unbelievable in what the church world calls the graveyard of church planting, Orlando, Florida. For what I just look back and I'm watching you worship with all of your heart and just your passion and the stories that I've heard Tim tell and now that Chad's here and the stories he's telling me and the life change, it's just unbelievable. But listen, I believe the best is yet to come for you. There are going to be exciting adventures full of twists and turns and mountains and valleys. Yesterday they took me to to Disney World. It is going to feel like Space Mountain as you move forward. You're twisting, turning. You can't see where you're going. You just know there's a twist and turn coming up. But listen, the story's unwritten. And so with the time that Tim has blessed me with here today, I want to encourage you just with a few points of how together as a church you're going going to, hopefully you'll walk into this new exciting unwritten part of what God is getting ready to do here in Orlando, the story that he's about to write. And first of all, it's just going to be real simple. First of all, I just want to encourage you to stay humble. I want you to do something, and I did this when I came back from California. It was kind of odd then. It'll be odd for you now, but I want you to do this. I want you to look at the person that you're sitting next to, either right or left, or who you, who you feel close to, and I just want you to say these words to them. All right, here we go. Ready? I want you to say, it's not about me. Say, Go ahead and do that right now. Say, it's not about me. It's not about me. All right? That's kind of easy, right? You know, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it's not about me, whatever. So, and then this will give you a little bit harder, okay, a little bit harder. Look to that same person and say to them, and it's not about you either. Just, that was even, that was actually a little easier, wasn't it? All right, and listen, that may sound funny, but if it's not about me and it's not about you, then who is this all about? Listen, one of the things that God has taught me, I've been in ministry now for 
over nearly 33 years is that he is very jealous of his glory. Glory means heavy. It means preeminence. It's the question of who carries the weight, who gets the credit for what goes on, who gets the actual pat on the back, who gets the spotlight. And see, if we're not careful, we can easily walk into any environment like this one and, and just kind of in the back of our mind thinking, well, this is all about me. We walk in and we think, well, we expect that this is kind of all about us, you know? We, I, I, you know, we, we're like, kind of like, well, I didn't really like that song, but I really like the next song that you did. Oh my, the first song just didn't grab me, didn't touch me, but the next one, oh my goodness. And, but it was a little too loud, all right? It was a little too loud, you know, or it was a little too soft. You know, for me, honest truth, my, my church knows, I, I don't just like one drum set. You could put six across the back, and I would be like, yes, add more. You know? but, then, but then there's people who go, look, there's way too much pounding and drums, and who's that guy in the back? What's his name? Joe. That's the guy. He's the one that makes it loud in here. You know, so we're all thinking all about that stuff. By the way, he's awesome. I don't know if you know that or not. He does a great job at what he does. All right? But we, but we walk in and we evaluate. And for pastors, Tim will tell you, Chad will tell you, it's like, Pete, you're sitting out there with a scorecard. You're never going to put it up and go, ah, that was a six. All right? That was a 10. Can I tell you something? Here's the thing. None of this is for us. It's all for him. And when our hearts are right before him, he likes it. He likes you. He loves it. He, it doesn't matter if it's traditional, if it's being done in Africa, Scotland, here in Orlando, whatever. He just, when our hearts are in the right place and the spotlight's on Jesus, he's all about it. Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I'm the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or praise to idols. God's priority is the revelation of his glory. This and everything that we have done on this earth and everything that has been created is all about him. And he wants you to know how great he is. So that not only will you give your life to him, but that you will follow him with all your heart. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3 says, To those that show themselves holy, I will be glorified. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 says, we were created for his glory. The revelation of his glory is his purpose. And he decides when and where and with whom he'll share it. Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's meeting with God. Burning bush moment. Moses says, God, listen, show me your glory. And God says to Moses, listen, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy on. I will, have, I will show compassion on who I want to show compassion, but no one sees my face and lives. What God was telling Moses was this, I don't exist to make much of you, Moses. I exist to make much of me, and so do you. In other words, it's not about you, it's all about me and my glory. Now listen, this is a call, this is a call to all of us to stay away from selfishness, to stay away from any attitude that would cause us to have a critical spirit, to stay away from disunity, to stay away from division, to stay humble. In 2 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes these words. He says, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, he says, dress yourself in humility. Put on humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. At the right time, he will lift you up in honor. That verse, the, that, the verse that just grabs me, the little the words, is that God opposes the proud. I, can you imagine walking through life knowing that God's opposing you? But on the other hand, he gives grace to the humble. God actually gives grace to us when we choose to humble ourselves. I, I, how can I keep that in perspective? Well, years ago, I remember this uh, African-American pastor at Promise Keepers named Joseph Garlington. He said this. 
He says, here's how you keep all this in perspective. He said, you stay close, you stay small, you stay out uh, out of the way, you stay out of the limelight, you stay wasn't. What does that mean? Well, Genesis 5.24 says, Enoch walked with God and then he wasn't. That should be the mantra of our lives. We walked with God, and then we, it just, we just went away. We went into heaven. We didn't, you know, nobody's building a monument to us. We stay childlike. We stay in awe. We stay broken. We stay in step. Stay humble. Second thing, stay outward focused. Build God's kingdom, not your own. Let me take you back for just a moment to that story in 2003. I remember coming home from that conference I shared with Amy what God was doing in my heart. He was stirring my heart. I shared with our church what I just told you. I had everybody look at them. You know, it's not about me. It's not about you. And through a series of events and friendships, God led me and our church into four different ventures that changed my life and changed our church. We became very strategic and intentional about church multiplication, not just church planning, but multiplication. We decided that we would be a multiplying church. We would train up and send out church planters, and we would, we would encourage people in our church to, to leave and plant churches not only all over the world, but all over, the, all over Atlanta. And I had this crazy dream of seeing a 1,000 churches planted in my lifetime. We also decided that we were going to be about community transformation. We decided that we would be a church that focused on transforming our community by purposefully ministering to people outside the walls, the four walls of our church. I love the t-shirts that you guys have here about the four walls. Listen, when we did the whole it's not about me thing, we made a t-shirt, and I'm going to blame it on Tim because Tim makes t-shirts for everything. (laughs) All right? That needs to be on a t-shirt. That needs to be on a t-shirt. All right? But I wanted to be the church in the community that when everything fell apart, we were the church they came to. When, every, when, when they didn't know where else to go, they came down our parkway. I wanted to redo the way we did global missions. I wanted to raise up our young adults. I wanted to raise up our high schoolers and middle schoolers and say, you're the next global missionaries. And we would refocus our efforts. Rather than sending money all over the globe, not even knowing where it was going, I wanted to send it very strategically to very specific countries and to make a commitment to be there for the rest of our lives. And we were going to invest money and people and, and our efforts. And, and I remember the very first, the, the, one of the very first countries that we, we, we went into with this new initiative was Burkina Faso, Africa. I actually sent Tim and a couple of other staff members, like the 12 spies of Israel, to check out the promised land. I, I sent them to Burkina Faso, Africa, and I said, come back and tell us how we should tackle this country. And I remember sitting with Tim and Paul and some other, Paul Richardson, and he said, they need fresh water. They can't hear the gospel without clean water. Kids are dying of AIDS and, and waterborne illnesses. They need new churches. They, 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 need, um, um, they need the gospel in a tremendous way. They don't even have the Bible in their own language. And they need schools. And can I tell you, since Tim was on the, second, the first trip I went on, which was like 2008 or 9, since that time in the last 10 years, God has allowed us to dig over 700 freshwater wells in Burkina Faso, Africa. We have been able to plant over 100 churches. We have now seen... Um, uh, uh, over 6,000 people, the, the, group, the people group that we, that we um, adopted was the Pugli people group, Pugli. And I remember um, going out to this village, Tim and I went out there with his brother, his brother Tad was on this trip. These people had never seen white people before. And we were like way out, like you talk about the ends of the earth, we were at the ends of the earth. But there was a remnant of Christians in this tribe. We didn't really know that, all right? They woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, started dancing around this fire, and we thought, we didn't know they were Christians until they, they started, our, our missionaries started translating. We thought they're either worshiping Jesus or we're about to get eaten. We didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> and we started shooting video of, this, of this, this worship service that was going on around this fire. Tim and his brother Tad are up on this bus dancing. 
as they're shooting video. Like around, the drums are beating. Tim and Tad called this Club Poogly. It was unbelievable. But now over 6,000 Poogly have, have come to know Christ. We've actually been able to take them off the Unreached People Group map. Uh, map. Now they are raising up missionaries to go to, into the next tribe. The next tribe over is called the Ja people. These people are a complete animist. I mean, they, they worship everything in nature. They have witch doctors. It's like that. And now they're sending missionaries into the Ja tribe people. We're translating the Bible through, through Wycliffe. And I'm telling you, God is moving in tremendous, tremendous ways. But I watch what you guys are doing in, in, in Brazil, what you're talking about doing in Germany. Strategically focused, committed, being there for your whole life until you see God move in ways that can only be explained by God. And then the other thing was, the fourth thing was city impact. God, God put on, on our heart the cities, the cities of America, the cities of our country. There was a recent study done by the University of Michigan that say that 84% of, nation, of our nation right now lives in the major cities of our nation, in urban settings, not the burbs of the country, 84% in urban cities. So I wanted to focus our church to be focused on the gospel going into cities. I wanted to send our people out to minister to whatever city God would lead us to go to. Our high school pastor at the time was a guy named Ellis Prince. Ellis caught this vision, and he and his family and several families from Westridge moved to Baltimore, Maryland. And he has a church right now, a gallery church in the Inner Harbor area of Baltimore. There was a, a young middle school pastor who was also doing young adults, and he and his wife, Tim and Tandy Grandstaff, they caught this passion for Orlando. And they moved here 10 years ago to plant this church. Listen, we've invested in both of those ventures. But over the last several years, we've also had a presence in Boston, in Detroit, where I'm from, and, and especially in downtown Atlanta. This whole new direction that God gave me in 2003 happened when we were still portable. We were still meeting in a high school. We had, we had just purchased property. We hadn't, we hadn't even dedicated the land. We hadn't even moved a piece of dirt yet. And I remember presenting this whole new direction to our church, that we were going to be a church that planted churches. We were going to refocus our global missions. I had people coming up to me asking me, why would we ever do something like that? We need money here. A church that planted other churches was like a foreign concept to, in, in our world at the time. And several people would ask me, why would we ever ask our people to leave? We're trying to get people to come here. Why would we ever send people out to church, a church somewhere else, especially like 15 minutes up the street? We had just started a, a building campaign called Time to Build. We needed everyone to jump in. I mean, and here I am standing up in front of a church sending people out, sending some of our biggest givers out. It was, it was crazy talk to a lot of people. It took uncommon faith for the people of our church to follow me down this new endeavor because we had never seen church expressed this way. I Listen, I know I had never seen it before. It was outside the box thinking. People thought I was crazy. Outside of, biblical, outside of a biblical explanation, it didn't make sense. But I knew I had to be obedient to what God was calling us to do. And I'm going to tell you, two things happened. First of all, the gates of hell were unleashed and came against me, my family, our staff, and our church. I mean, 2004, my dad was on our staff. He drowned in a rafting accident with my 14-year-old brother in the boat with him. I remember Tandy saying at my dad's funeral, it rocked me. I was literally paralyzed for over a year. I just, I, it just it rocked me. We had some staff division going on. Eventually, I had to fire one of my best friends. We lost over 1,000 people. It was all because of just the direction that we were going, which was so outside the box for so many people. And arrows were flying. It was a, it was a tough, tough season. But I want to tell you the second thing that happened. God showed up in a big way. God started doing greater work than I had ever envisioned before we moved to Atlanta in 1997. 
So many of the greatest things we, did, we are doing now started during that period of time. We started down a, a, a journey of being a sending church instead of a church that focused all of its efforts on just gathering people and trying to keep them. We started partnering with God and building his kingdom, and God did greater things than we could ever have dreamed of. And we embraced this not-about-me attitude and kept our focus outward. And listen, God stepped in and wrote a story that I didn't even have in mind, and it was absolutely amazing. We have a, we have a ministry now to, to, to children, young adults with special needs. I had no idea, no concept. Honest to truth, I had no heart for that when we moved to Atlanta. I just said yes to it about 10 years ago. And now we're adding a wing to our building just for children and students and young adults with special needs. And it's the most unreached people group in the entire nation. Listen, God builds his kingdom as we let go, not as we hold on. My buddy J.D. Greer says that. God builds his kingdom as we let go, not as we hold on. Jesus once promised his disciples that God would, would use them to do greater things than he had done here on earth. John captured what he said in, in John 14. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do, works, uh, do the works that I do. And then he says, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now, how in the world could we ever do greater works than Jesus? How in the world could we ever do greater miracles, preach greater sermons, or pray, pray greater prayers? Here's what this means. Here's what greater means. Greater doesn't mean greater in the quality of the work we do. It means that the reach and extent of the works that Jesus was, was part of, it would now be greater than when Jesus, because now Jesus' spirit would rest on every believer when that, when that power was connected or concentrated on just on one person. It would now be spread out across the globe onto every person that followed Jesus to be their savior. Listen, churches that truly get this don't just invest their energy into gathering people on Sunday morning. They invest heavily into empowering people all through the week and then sending people out. It's what the first church in Acts chapter 2 understood. A church empowered by the Holy Spirit was an unstoppable kingdom force. So Genesis, listen, I believe that this is what God is doing. He's already doing this here. So stay humbled, stay outward focused. But the third thing is stay together. I love this tagline we all use, I'm sure it's on a t-shirt somewhere, ready? All together we can do together what none of us can do alone. All together we can do together what none of us can do alone. Listen, when we got here two days ago, one of the very first things we did was visit one of my wife's very favorite tourist attractions in Orlando, the Orlando Outlets. All right? Listen, I've spent a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of money at the Orlando Outlets over the years. It is just, uh, you know... But let me tell you one of the things, every time I go there, here's the thing that stands out to me, the diversity of Orlando. It is, it is like the world came to visit Orlando and they just decided to stay. This city is a, is a microcosm of the world. The city is full of people of every nation, every race, every language, every skin color, every background, every religious belief. It's one of, one of the most diverse places that I've ever visited. And I remember walking around, just this past Friday, walking around the outlets, and I thought to myself, what an opportunity. What an opportunity for Genesis Church. Listen, you are positioned in a very unique, amazing way to impact not just Orlando, but the entire world through the work of this church. But here's the thing. The only way that you will see that opportunity become a reality is through your unity. It's through your commitment to oneness. It's through your commitment to stay together. In the New Testament book of John, the Apostle John captured this moment where Jesus, he is praying to his father. He's with his 12 disciples, and he says, guys, listen, I, I got a prayer request. If you don't, I'm going I'm to pray to the father real quick. 
and he prayed about this issue of togetherness. And here's what he said in John chapter 17. He says, Father, the hour has come. He says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. The time had come for Jesus to be arrested, to be put on trial, to go to, 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 go to the Father. And so Jesus is praying. And he says, Father, everything that's about to happen, everything that I'm about to go to, he says, just let it bring you glory. But before all of that takes place, Father, there's just this one thing I'm asking you to do. I'm just, I want to ask you for one thing. And he lays it out. Verse 11, if you look down at it, he says, I will remain in the world no longer. But they, talking about his disciples, he says, they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Listen, the, the disciples didn't understand this, but Jesus had told them that he was leaving, that they would be staying. And Peter kept going, no, God, wherever you go, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm going with you. And Jesus kept saying, no, you're going to stay right here. You have a work that needs to be accomplished. And so Jesus then begins to pray this, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that Jesus knew that the disciples were going to be persecuted for their faith. He knew they were going to be beaten. He knew they were going to be arrested. He knew that some of them were going to, were going to eventually die for choosing to follow him. Jesus had told them this. But Jesus wasn't praying for their physical protection. He was praying for something more strategic, actually something more important. He says, I'm praying so that they may be one as we are one. At the very end of his life, the thing that Jesus was most concerned about, it wasn't their physical protection, it was their unity. It was their oneness. He knew that if they could stay together, if they could stay unified, if they could stay in step with the Father and with each other, the world would change. But if they ever got divided, if they ever became splintered, if it ever became about them, if they ever walked in and went, oh, this is all about, about me, he knew that things would stall out. And then in verse 20, he does something amazing. He broadens his prayer request. He begins to pray for you, and he begins to pray for me. Verse 20 says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about his disciples. He says, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. He's praying for generations and generations and generations of Christians that come. He's praying for every generation that leads up to you here today. And here's what he prays. Lord, I'm praying that all of them, verse 21, may be one. All of them. When Jesus is praying for all of them, he is praying for every man, every woman, every student, every child, every young adult, every single person, every skin color, every nation, every social economic group, every language, every Republican, every Democrat, every Libertarian, Independent. He's praying for all of them that they may be one in the church. Now listen, it sounds impossible, doesn't it? Especially in today's culture. This is the most divided our nation's ever been in my lifetime that I can remember. But Jesus knew that this was mission critical. This wasn't just a good idea. This wasn't just a suggestion he was praying or a wish that everyone would just get along and, you know, sing Kumbaya when they came together. This was imperative. This was crucial. This was essential. Jesus knew that also that this wouldn't come easy for us. He knew that we like to hang out with people that think like us, act like us, look like us, especially when tough, you know, tough things happen and things start shaking. What do we do? We all run to what's, com what's, com what's comfortable, what's familiar. We run back to our own people, our own skin color, our own language. We run to those people. And so he continues praying in verse 1 or 21. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that, and here's Jesus reveals the reason why he's praying for oneness. So that the world, all those who are outside the faith, all of those who have chosen not to believe, all of those that roll their eyes when you mention faith, when he says when, when they see the unity, 
even though there's diversity within the church, when they see it, may they believe that you have sent me. He says, this is how Orlando, Orlando, Florida, will sit up and know that you have sent me. This is how Central Florida will sit up and take notice and know that you have sent me. This is how the state of Florida, the United States, the world will sit up and know that you have sent me. It is by your unity. It's your togetherness. It's your ability to be one. He says, that's what will get the attention of the world because there's nothing else out there like it. Nothing. Nothing like the local church. Therefore, he says, you can't sacrifice your unity for anything. And he says in verse 22, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. What is Jesus talking about? He's praying that God would help his followers to be unified in purpose. I love your purpose statement, uh, Genesis purpose, uh, purpose statement, is rethinking life the way God intended it to be. What if Orlando, what if Central Florida, what if, what if the world could see a group of people that lived life the way that God intended it to be lived? Overflowing, full of love for one another, focused on serving one another, committed to changing the community, being a multiplying church that sends people out together in purpose and in mission. And then Jesus ends the prayer, in this little section of it, verse 23, he says, then... Then the world that you will the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And Jesus is saying, Father, you and I know that everything's riding on their unity. Not around their culture, not around their politics, not around their language, not around the way that they do a specific brand of church, but instead around their togetherness, around their oneness, around their unity. And here's the cool thing. After the resurrection of Jesus happened, after he was resurrected and then ascended into heaven, the apostles finally got it. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out of the streets of Jerusalem with one purpose. Their purpose was to make disciples of all nations. And their message was real simple. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one who had come to redeem mankind, to bring salvation and forgiveness to anyone who would put their faith and their trust in him alone to be their Savior. Jesus gave his life to create a pathway for mankind to get to the Father. And they went with this mission to show the world a different way to live by showing the world a different kind of love. And these 11 men, and the other followers that with them, how did they do it? They humbled themselves. They were courageous. They were bold. They were out there, but they walked in humility. They turned their focus outward for so long, even after the resurrection, it had been inward. They were scared to death. But when the Holy Spirit came on, they went outward, and they were together, and they were unified in purpose and message, and they changed the world. Genesis Church, the next 10 years of the story are unwritten. But what an opportunity. What an opportunity that God has given you in one of the toughest places in the world. Not just to plant a church, but to pastor a church. And you have been strategically positioned to change Orlando, to change Central Florida, to change Florida, to change the U.S., to change the world. But here's my challenge to you. It's just real simple. But, oh, do we struggle with this? I struggle with this. We all struggle with this. Stay humble. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's just, it will, never, it will never be that way, ever. Stay outward focused. It's about expanding God's kingdom, not our own. And stay together. All together, we can do together what none of us can do alone. Stay unified. Stay as one. 
stay together. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Oh, Lord, the, the potential of this church is just unbelievable. I love the mission, the purposes, the strategic thinking. I see those signs out there, Lord, those banners with all of the results of the last 10 years. And Father, I know that the best is yet to come. And it's going to be full of twists and turns and mountains and valleys. But Father, as we focus on your kingdom and not our own, we know that you promise to take care of anything that we, we, we even may consider to be our kingdom. You promise to take care of our needs. But Lord, I pray for this church. Let them walk in humility. Let them know when they walk in here, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's all about bringing glory to the Father. Let the spotlight always be on Jesus. Father, let them stay outward focused. Let them have a heart, a broken heart for every single person. Let, may they own the lostness of this whole area. And may they work until every single person has had a chance to hear the gospel, to make a, a decision for Jesus Christ. And may they stay together. May they fight for unity in the midst of diversity, in the midst of chaos. May they fight to stay together, to be of one mind, one spirit, one purpose. May they die to themselves, their own needs and wants, and let it all be about Jesus and what he's doing. And may we see great things from this church. Father, we love you today. I pray that if there's anybody here today that's never put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ alone to be their Savior, that today that they will realize that just by praying to you, believing in their heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and by placing their faith and trust in him alone, that not only can they have forgiveness of sin, but they can have new life. New life here on this earth and a promise of new life in heaven. And so, Lord, if there's anyone in here that's never done that, never made that decision, Holy Spirit, work right now. Draw people, all men and women, to yourself. And may they at this very moment put all of their faith and their trust in you. Repent of their sins and believe that Jesus Christ is the truly one and only Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this great opportunity. Thank you for everything that's about to take place in this service, even after this. And we love you so much. The best is yet to come. It's unwritten, but we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.